hello. Well, hello there. Wow, I wasn't expecting this to come through my own car speaker. That was... Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the One Out of One podcast. I've got here with me my special guest, Jeb, again. Say hello, Jeb. Hello. You can find Jeb on YouTube at Just Jeb Schaefer. Search him anywhere. I highly recommend, of course, my favorite of his Let's Plays, Outlast. His Arkham Asylum play, uh, Let's Play is also very good. Check out any of his games anywhere. Is there anywhere else that they can find you? Um, they can find me on Instagram, Just Jeb Schaefer. And uh, I do have a Twitter, but that Twitter is solely for what we are about to talk about today. I, I, so if you I, want to hear me obsess about what we're about to talk about today, follow me. Yeah, sounds good. And trust me, that's the only, it is the only appropriate use for Twitter. Yeah. Yeah. I have learned that very, very, uh, very much the hard way. All right. So for those of you who don't know what we're talking about today, we are going to be comparing a couple of elements in the recent Justice League movies. So Justice League originally was being put together in the uh, DC Universe by Zack Snyder. Uh, Right near the end of production, uh, he stepped out of the picture. uh, And and the reasons are varied for uh, whether he was forced out or whether it was because of something with his daughter, correct? Correct, yes. During, uh, towards the end of production, um, he did step away. And like you said, it's a little unclear whether he was forced out by Warner Brothers or he stepped away due to the family tragedy of his daughter's suicide. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a little unclear as to what the specific reason is. I would, I would venture to bet it's because of his daughter's suicide. But, I would too. But in his absence, uh, Warner Brothers brought in Joss Whedon, which was a very interesting choice. It logically makes sense because he's the guy that produced the, the two Avengers movies, specifically... Um, the first one, and then uh, Age of Owl, Ultron. Age of Ultron. <laughs> I had another guy tell me today that that was his favorite Marvel movie, and I was like, dude, how are you still alive? I mean, I recently <laughs> watched it, and I mean, because I'm watching through the movies to watch The Falcon and Winter Soldier, and I mean, yeah, it, well, it's not as bad as I remembered it, but I mean, it's definitely not one of the better ones. <laughs> I know. It's like, dude, I can understand if you say you enjoyed it. Like, I enjoy bad movies. I've got, I've got, I've got like five bad movies on my shelf over here. So, like, if you if you can say it's not the best, but that you enjoy it, fine. I'll let that slide. But if you want to yeah. tell me that that's the best of the Avengers movies, um, can we have especially, a talk? I know this this isn't our topic, but especially if you have movies like Infinity War and Civil War, yeah, or yeah, Winter Soldier, all Gosh. made by the all made by the um Russo brothers. I'd ah. say Endgame in there too. But Endgame's really only good because of the third and final act. That's what I've heard about it. I, I still haven't watched it. Uh, I, I was more concerned about getting through the Justice League movies. Yeah. But anyways, so they bring in Joss Whedon to finish the film. He does some changes in the post-production, and it flops. Big time. Horribly. One of the, it, it was probably one of the most disastrous flops in film history. 
Now you could say that the uh, the two movies beforehand, there are three major movies in the DC cinematic universe. You got Man of Steel, which was the first one. Mm-hmm. You have Dawn of Justice, which brought in Batman and Wonder Woman. Mm-hmm. And then you've got this one, the Justice League. Now the other two movies, while they had they were you know mixed in their reviews, a lot of people hated, a lot of people loved. They were still very profitable. Yes. The Justice League movie comes in, direct, um, finalized by Joss Whedon, and it flops horribly. It's a, it's one of the worst flops in Warner Brothers history. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it's so bad. I remember, I remember reading that. Uh, I found out that Zack Snyder and Christopher Nolan are buddies. Yeah, like that makes sense. That's like, and I think that's why I like this series so much is because of how heavily similar it is to the Dark Knight trilogy. Yes. Which, for those who don't know, that's my fav- one of my favorite movie series. Just yep. throwing that out there. Yeah, and that's actually going to tie into uh, our second point that we're going to discuss later. Uh, because, I mean, there's a big difference between the way that a DC movie feels and the way that an, a, a Marvel movie feels. Oh, big time. Yes. Um, but Christopher Nolan and uh, Zack Snyder's wife tell him, please don't watch this movie. Uh, you, you will want to die inside. So a couple of years go by, and uh, he's given a contract to uh, redo the movie in his way. Mm-hmm. And it's amazing. Yeah. Like... I, looked at, I looked at my wife, and I'm like, okay, you know that I'm incredibly picky about superhero movies. Oh, yeah. This, oh, I know. This ranks as one of the best movies, period, super, superhero movies and other movies included. Right? Yes. Like... I've I've always been a fan. I've always been a fan of comic book movies. I am not particular. I'll watch good ones. I'll watch bad ones. I'll I love comic book movies. If you hear something, I'm not peeing. I'm pouring myself coffee. That's what they all say. I always say that every single time. Sometimes I'm actually peeing. <laughs> but I've always loved um superhero movies, and some of my favorite superhero movie series, as I already mentioned, was the Dark Knight trilogy. Right. I love the MCU. Even the bad ones, I enjoy watching them as a whole. And then I've loved the Snyder, what I'm referring to as the Snyderverse. Yes. Those three are probably my top three favorite superhero series. Mm-hmm. I've always loved Batman v Superman, even though it got a lot of hate. I've always loved Man of Steel, which recently I found out got a lot of hate. Yep. Yep. But there was something about the 2017 Suicide Squad and 2017 Justice League, or as we're going to refer to it as Justice League. Ugh. Made me pull away from the series. I'm like, maybe this wasn't as good as I remember. Maybe, you know, it's maybe they're trying too similar to be, they're trying too hard to be similar to Marvel. It's just not working. They're trying too hard. Then Snyder Cut comes out. Mm-hmm. And I rewatched Man of Steel, Batman v Superman right before watching um, the Snyder Cut because I had D Now weekend that weekend. So I couldn't watch it until Sunday. Right. So I watched it and I realized now. Snyder wasn't trying to be Marvel. He was trying to do something better. Yes. Different. Yep. And uh, and on top of that, I mean, this is going to get into a lot of the worldview, but the reason why the movies feel so different is because people like Zack Snyder and Christopher Nolan, both of them together, and the rest of Hollywood see the world differently. Yeah. And you'll, I mean, you'll notice this with anything, pretty much any movie that, uh, 
political pundits on the right love that are also really, really popular with, uh, you know, people like you and me, people who are just just here hanging out, trying to watch a good movie. Mm -hmm. The way that we see the world is much more similar to people like Zack Snyder and Christopher Nolan than with uh, Joss Whedon or Robert Downey Jr. or most of Hollywood. Yeah. And that's why they feel so different is because it's like we can understand them better. We can relate to them better. Yeah, yesterday um, after church, I was talking to some buddies about the Dark Knight trilogy. And one point I made is I just love how Bruce, not Batman, Bruce's journey through that trilogy is an allegory for Christian life. Yes. And it's so good. Like, yes, Batman's cool. And I love seeing Batman do Batman stuff. But Bruce's life in that trilogy is an allegory for a Christian walk of faith. And I love that. Yeah. In rewatching the Justice League series, like I I keep being blown away by how relatable the character of Clark Kent is. Yeah. And that's what people don't like. And I don't understand because people hate how Clark and Bruce are represented. Like a buddy of mine hates Batman v Superman because of Batman killing and Batman v Superman. And yeah, I I don't I don't let that hold very much water. When you look at a. When you look at the context that Batman is presented in, he's older, he's seen a lot, and of course he's got the tattered, shredded, and uh, spray-painted Robin suit. Yeah. Crap's gone down. Yeah, and he, my, but my buddy tried to use the argument, oh, but he didn't do that in the comics, and I'm like, this isn't the comics. It's yeah. an adaptation. Right. Things are going to be different, and as a creator, he, Zack Snyder has the right to do something he wants and something different. Yes. And and part of the big reason why uh, these movies are so good and why they're so different than the rest of superhero movies is Zack Snyder tries to present these heroes in a way that they would be received in the real world. Exactly. Yeah. And I love that. Yeah. So you've got the first you got the Man of Steel movie. Uh, The world is scared. At this point in time, the world has no knowledge of anything superhuman. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, the element is introduced, and they're ready to turn over Superman immediately to make the threat go away. Yep. Threat doesn't go away, and they're thankful for Superman, but they're still concerned. Then in the second movie, we see the political conflict arise. How do, how do we uh, – what's that word that I'm looking for? How do we rein in Superman if he starts to uh, lose his cool and he starts to do things that are against the uh, – the good of mankind. Yeah. It's, it, it presents a real world scenario that's believable for people who are just living their everyday lives. Mm-hmm. So with all of that kind of like a little bit of a background, we've got two main areas that we kind of want to talk about in comparing. We might do an, another episode later, uh, just depending on how well received this one is. Uh, but there are two really big things that I want to get across. The first one is we kind of want to compare the uh, the attitude between Zack Snyder and the way that uh, he presents his characters and works with his people and the way that Joss Whedon does. Because, you know, I'm okay with the first Avengers movie, but for me, and, and I, I really love uh, Dr. Horrible's sing-along blog. Mm-hmm. I think that's I think that's the best thing that he's made. But for me, when I watch something that he directs or writes or anything, he always comes across to me as the guy who the guy who can't handle real world conversations. So he just makes an inappropriate joke to try to cover it. So like, yeah, 
he could be talking with someone who's like, Hey dude, I, you know, I just found out, um, my dad's got cancer and he'd be like, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, is it at least like, is it at least like mouth cancer since, uh, you know, uh, you said he sucks. Um, yeah. Yeah. It, so there, there's a, there are two main ways that I think that this kind of is displayed throughout, uh, the movie. We've got the character of Cyborg and we've got the treatment of the actress for Wonder Woman. How do you pronounce her name again? Gal, um, gosh, I don't know. I, okay. I, and if I try, I'm going to butcher it. We'll go with Gal. Gal. She is a gal, so there you go. Hey, hey, hey. <laughs> Make things easy for us. Thank you. <laughs> Give that woman's parents a high five. All right. So um, you, were, you were pointing out something about an article that was written uh, with yes. an actor... Yeah, yes. go ahead. The actor of Cyborg recently, and there was another article too that I didn't have time to send to you, but man, okay. because you were already outlining this episode, and it right. was the day you were outlining, this article came out, but we'll get to that later. But okay. So this article, Ray Fisher, the actor for Cyborg, comes out and talks about the horrible treatment everyone was going through during the Whedon's redevelopment and reshoot, and how his, how his part, Cyborg's part, were trimmed down tremendously. Mm-hmm. Um, Joss Whedon threatened to ruin Gal's um, career because she wouldn't do something she didn't want. And it's just like, are you kidding? I heard, and again, this wasn't in the article, but I noticed this when I was doing research on it, looking on Twitter, seeing how a lot of other people were saying and posting. Jeremy Irons, the guy who does Alfred, looked at the new script for Joss Whedon and said, this sucks, goes to his trailer and rewrites his parts for himself. Ah, there's my man. And I'm just like, how awful of a human being do you have to be in order to, like, have almost your entire cast and crew want to walk out on you? Yeah. Yeah, I know. And, like, now I'd heard about the stuff uh, with a gal, lady gal, uh, mm-hmm. Before, like, I, like one of the big scenes that w- she was very upset about uh, was the moment in his cut when the Flash comes to rescue her. They land oh, on the yeah. ground, and he's on top of her. Yep. In what is very obviously meant to mimic a sexual encounter. Yep. And of course, it's it's awkward all the way around. It's awkward for the audience. You can tell it's awkward for the actors. Yep. And it's it, it's just an inappropriate thing that's kind of thrown in there. Oh, but he to... did it! Be- oh, but he did it the, before in Age of Ultron, and people got a kick out of it. And I'm just like, there's a tonal difference between these two movies. Obviously, yeah. people would have gotten a kick out of it in Age of Ultron because that's the tone that I think Whedon did help set up with the first Avengers movie. Mm-hmm. Like ever since the first Avengers movie, these movies are, yes, they're good and they have their tense moments, but they're more comedies. Yeah. They are, which worked for things like Guardians of the Galaxy. But the problem is, is you can't force that on serious characters like the recent Superman, the recent Batman, the recent Wonder Woman. Yeah. Yeah. And on top of that, it just it it makes things difficult for the actors and actresses. I mean. When we watch the uh, the Joss Whedon cut, every Every single major character objectifies Wonder Woman in a way that didn't happen in any of the other 
uh, DC movies. Yep. Not in the other Wonder Woman movies and not in Dawn of Justice, not in the, the uh, Zack Snyder cut, just in Joss Whedon's cut. Yep. Is she objectified? I mean, there's this, this, this one for those who aren't, uh, who haven't seen it yet. I highly recommend you watch both because it's going to give you an insight into the struggle of Hollywood. We're seeing yeah. a lot of, uh, we're seeing a lot of actors, producers, directors come out and say, Hey, so, uh, I don't believe like the rest of them. They're a bunch of crazy psychos. Yeah. That yeah. other article I mentioned, one of the screenwriters for Dawn of justice came out. Like mm-hmm. he saw justice league and called the night he saw justice league. He was working on rise of Skywalker at the time, saw justice league. And he called his lawyer and said, remove my name from this film. He called oh. it an act of vandalism. Whoa. Like he says, Snyder might be too much of a gentleman to say it, but I will. This is an act of vandalism. Yeah. It, and the problem is, is the uh, atmosphere of Hollywood is so toxic. Yeah. And, it, you know, it, I, 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 I joke about this sometimes, but uh, it's funny to me how uh, a lot of Democrat politicians will, on one hand, uh, criticize anybody on the right for uh, believing the QAnon conspiracy. And then we find out that those exact same people are having sex with minors. Excuse me, you're making it kind of easy to buy into this stuff. Yeah, and, it, I'll, and I'll, I don't want to throw all of Hollywood under the bus because right. even though all of Hollywood could be, we're only right. going to talk about Warner Brothers for the minute because that same mm-hmm. article where the screenwriter, you know, I just mentioned. Yeah. Warner Brothers sabotaged Dawn of Justice. Yeah. Like, because the, I don't know which one you watched recently, but if you watched the Ultimate Edition, that was the one they signed off for. But for I did. the theatrical cut, they cut down 30 minutes. 30 yeah, minutes of footage they cut out of this movie. Yep. Like, why are you trying to sabotage your movies, Warner Brothers? Like, yep. I have been a fan of Warner Bros. because of the Harry Potter movies. But now I'm wondering, how much have they sabotaged? Yeah. Yeah, and it's it's these bigwigs who've been in power for way too long, and they've got nobody to keep them accountable. Exactly. And so they make all of these changes, and they brush so much stuff under the rug. You know how many sex scandals are probably brushed under the rug by these bigwigs in Hollywood? Oh, probably like at least half a dozen, if not more. I'm pretty I'm pretty sure maybe half a dozen for like each individual person involved. Like, yeah, I mean, because I mean, we find out. Kevin Spacey had a lot of stuff that was brushed under the rug. We find out that Bill Cosby had stuff brushed under the rug and it just keeps coming out over and over and over and over. And you get to the point where you just wonder, I mean, is it really worth it to watch movies anymore? Yeah. I'm just going to be supporting these, these sex addicts. Yeah. And that sucks for people like us because I can't speak for you, but I love storytelling. I am. Mm -hmm. I like, if I wasn't going to be a youth pastor, I'd probably find, because my dream is to leave a legacy of a story like yeah. Tolkien and Lewis, you know, and other people who've left their mark in history because of great stories they told. I would yeah. love to do that. But when I see things like this in Hollywood, I don't know if I want to. Yeah. I mean, we're I do think that Hollywood is going to die. And I think it's going to be because of people like Joss Whedon. I think it's going to be these people who make these kinds of decisions, treat people poorly and then groups like Warner Brothers that make excuses for all of it. Yep. They're going to be the ones that kill Hollywood. Yep. And I love how Ray Fisher finished this, the article that we were t- recently, how we were talking about. He didn't want to cancel them, but 
but he like he didn't want to you know he, i forget how he phrases it but it's basically he didn't want to cancel them but he felt like people like that should not be in leadership and i agree with that and i, do I think too. that's like in that's this, probably the best approach that i've heard in a while yeah because in this age of cancel culture where you do something wrong even though now again with the issues with warner brothers that are kind of recent I could understand. I still don't believe in cancel culture, but I could understand because it's recent and they haven't changed their ways. But when someone changed their ways, I'm using an actor that starred on The Flash for a while. And no, actually James Gunn, because that's another more more notable name. And I know his name. James Gunn made inappropriate tweets 10 years ago. Yeah. Disney fires him because of those tweets, even though he's not that same person. Right. So, and I'm just like, uh, sorry, cancel. Can't, if you want to get me fired up, get me on a rant about cancel culture. Oh, well, trust me, I, I could be there with you. The only reason why I don't get as fired up about James Gunn is because he he was part of the cancel culture for a while until he got targeted. True. I will but, say though, he does he does he is working again with Disney for Volume Three. They did hire him back. Okay. Well, at least there's something there. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, so. Basically, to kind of wrap this point up, I, you can tell when somebody is being inappropriate on set. I mean, oh yeah, look at look at the uh, the differences in the two movies with Steppenwolf, for example. Yep. In the uh, portrayal by Zack Snyder, the original one, he's this he's this villain that's looking for a redemption story, but he also doesn't care who he tramples on in order to get there. He feels like a more relatable villain that you might be able to find in the everyday world. Yeah. In the Joss Whedon version. Evil. He, he, evil. Well, not only that, he's like a creepy old man. I mean, the way That's he true. looks and the way he talks and the way he's written, you know, the big battle with the Amazons, he, the moment when he gets the box and he just kind of, he's like, Oh dear queen. One of these days I will rule the world and you will join me. And you will love me. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> and he turns to all the other episodes. You will all love me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Oh, my soul died when I saw that. Oh, Lord. That's the most. I-, I saw that. And at that moment, I was like, I'm never going to be able to take anything Marvel or DC seriously ever again. Yeah. Unless, unless Snyder's under the name. Yes. All right, so anything else you want to touch on that topic? Um, I think to close off is, again, one, one last thing I felt find interesting in that article with Ray Fisher. Yeah. He, everyone knows Cyborg's catchphrase, right? Right. Booyah! Sadly, though, that was only in the Teen Titans series. Ah, okay. And Snyder didn't want Cyborg saying booyah, you know. Ray Fisher didn't want it because they knew the character. Josh Whedon comes along. And te- basically forces Ray Fisher. And you can see it when he says it in the film. He hurts after he says it. Mm-hmm. Like, and like, and Whedon manipulates the whole situation to be like, look, I don't want to get fired. What if an executive's um, child sees it and they're complaining because, you know, Cyborg doesn't say booyah. You know, we got it. We got to make this for the kids. It's, it's my butt on the line. I don't want to get fired. You have to say booyah. And I just, and I'm like, you're the problem with society, Whedon. I yeah. love Avengers. I tolerate Age of Ultron. But you're the problem with society. 
mm-hmm. forcing people to do what they don't want to do. He forced the stunt, the um gal, gal's um stunt double to do that scene we were talking about. Yeah, threatening to ruin gal's career for not doing that scene. He is the problem yeah. of society, and not yep. just him specifically, but people like that who will manipulate and. Ah, sorry yeah. that's another that's okay. thing that gets me fired up is people who manipulate and it's don't know if it's because of my past and how i've been manipulated or if it's just that's just wrong in general but well we've got a we you and i both have a strong sense of justice yeah i mean i mean with uh with my family's ties to law enforcement and your family's ties to the military i mean we're, we're both we both have a strong uh sense of justice within our spirits yeah and so it frustrates us whenever we see whenever we see someone manipulate yeah yep all right let's let's knock out this second point because I, I know you got to get going pretty soon yeah so uh we'll we'll have a short break ladies and gentlemen and then we will be right back All right. So last point that we're going to kind of wrap up with is there's some major worldview differences between the Joss Whedon cut and the Snyder cut. Yep. And one of the biggest ones, I mean, there, there's one that, um, there's one that I didn't catch at first until I thought about it a little bit more. And I don't know if you caught it either, but when they were talking about what the boxes actually are Mm -hmm. in the Joss Whedon cut, they control life in Mm -hmm. the Snyder cut. They're objects of change. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Catch that. Yeah. I was like, Hmm, that's interesting. I'm going to look into that. Hmm. Hmm. So I'm going to be, I'm going to look into that. And if we do another episode, uh, we'll probably cover that and kind of like look at what the consequences are of it being change or life. Yeah. But, like, I mean, that's very interesting. That probably leads into a lot of how they view the world differently. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But the biggest one, and I know you saw it, too, when we were first talking about it, Joss Whedon doesn't show a lot of suffering. Nope. Real suffering. What he shows most of the time is emotional hurt that could be fixed with a simple change of perspective. Oh, yeah. And like the biggest example, I mean, because I I know that probably the biggest character sabotage in uh, the Justice League was Cyborg. Yes. And I hate that because he's one of my favorite characters in the newer version. Yeah. And and part of the big issue there is like his motivation in the Snyder Cut is a lot better. In the Snyder Cut, he's grieving over the loss of his mother. Mm hmm. In the Justice League, he doesn't give a crap about his mother. Nope. He he's more concerned about himself. Yeah. And oh, the way that I'm he different. Did. I'm gonna be angsty. Dear Lord, quit being a teenage girl. Right. We've got look. We got enough of those in Hollywood. We've already got a deal with teenage girl Joss Whedon. Do we have to deal with teenage girl Cyborg as well? <sighs> yeah. And so that's, I mean, that was a huge difference for us because when we watch that, we see like, wait, in this other version, I mean, like, we're, we're watching lives get torn apart 
we I mean like we watch in the bank heist we see the life leave that security guard as he's shot yeah in and in the uh in the justice league he like cuts away from it and yep. it's like no yeah because yeah part of the big issue is the way that they see suffering is different and this is where we see a huge cultural divide in america right now and it's also where we see like a difference in like the way that you and i see the world as bible believing christians and the way that most people in america see suffering today yeah when we see suffering we see someone who's lost a loved one or someone who's uh tortured on a daily basis who is put through severe physical pain yeah but when most people and especially when people like uh joss whedon see suffering they see a pouty schoolgirl attitude yeah and it's like y'all do, do y'all even know how life works yeah and obviously they don't if that's how they're portraying suffering like i my roommate has gone through so much suffering in the past three years Mm -hmm. because of what, and again, that's not counting his 22 years of trauma from his past Yeah. on top of that. And it's like, I live with someone who suffers. I know what that looks like. Yeah. And it hurts me. It hurts him. I know it hurts them and hurts me. And it's like, how can you get suffering to look like a pouty schoolgirl? Yeah. Yeah. And it's, when I was comparing the two different cuts, what stood out the most to me is how much uh, Zack Snyder in all three movies focuses on the loss of life. Yeah. His main way of focusing on suffering is looking at those who are left behind. Yeah. So you've got in, in Man of Seal, when uh, Jonathan Kent dies. Mm-hmm. The reason Superman becomes who he is is because of the loss of his father. Yeah. And then you got the second movie where we see that Batman becomes who he is because of the loss. Mm -hmm. Like, I I know for Batman, it's normally both his parents, but like the movie really focuses on his mom. And what I love about that is that a lot of people give this scene flack. And I understand the, why did you say that name? The Martha scene, you know? Yeah. But was it executed poorly? Yes. It became a meme. It was executed poorly. But what Snyder was trying to do was show us, the audience, that Batman was exactly who he didn't want to become, which was his parent's shooter. Yes. And Superman was Batman's father. Mm-hmm. Crying, like, because the last words his father said was Martha. And when Batman hears him say, you're letting them kill Martha, save Martha, he is mm-hmm. put back to that traumatic event as a child. Yes. He lost his parents and he sees himself as the shooter being no better than what he didn't want to be. Right. And, and that's, that's a big part of society. We, and anytime that there's a, a mass shooting that goes on, uh, we hear the mantra of, we need more mental health. We need more mental health. But then when you look at the things that are actually being pushed for laws, none of them actually deal with it. Yeah. If you want to deal with mental health, then the things that you need to work on are things that actually get people the help that they need. For example, yeah. you need to work on destigmatizing getting help in society. Yep. Um, like I, I, 
I confidently say that I think everybody would benefit from a little bit of counseling. Um, I mean, I, I'll be honest, I got some pretty crappy counseling uh, from two different people who either didn't know what they were doing very well or weren't committed enough. But it was enough to get me started to where I could help myself enough to get on my own feet. Yeah. And my roommate, yes, he still struggles and suffers, but like he is getting he's getting counseling and help. And like the first few sessions were amazing because they were able to identify the problems. He's telling me now they're about in a standstill because it's how do they work? How do they get how do they solve these problems? And that's been discouraging him. But he's at least getting help. Yeah. Yeah. And that's I mean, that's a tough part of uh, therapy period is. Yeah. when, When you hit that wall and everybody hits that wall. Um, I, I was there a couple of months ago, um, and I know quite a few people who are hitting that wall right now, mm-hmm. but like once it's overcome, it's, it's a beautiful thing to see, but the problem is, is, and this is why we bring this point up, whether in the area of mental health or within the area of trying to understand a grand picture of the world, like, is there a God or not? that conversation either becomes easier or harder depending on what your view of suffering is. Mm -hmm. And Zack Snyder has a much healthier view of what suffering is than Joss Whedon does. Yeah. Yeah. When you address the issues that Zack Snyder brings up of death and chaos and trying to find answers, it's a lot easier to come to a rationalization of God than it is if your suffering is, oh, why am I different? I, I, I look so different than everybody else. Oh, oh my goodness. I, I, I can never be normal again. Ugh. Yeah. And that's, I think that we're going to close out on that point. We, as a church and as a society, need a healthy perspective of suffering in order to progress. Yeah, like, People don't understand, but like being able to helpful, healthily, no, yeah. to healthily Close. examine traumas and suffering in order to move past them is what we need. Not shifting the blame, not making movements because you feel, you know, that you're being targeted specifically. Just this is what I tell my roommate what happened, happened, accept it and move on Mm -hmm. and only then will you be able to move on with life and i'm this i'm also saying this from personal experience because sometimes it's hard for me to do that like i by my mistakes and like things i've suffered with i am still haunted by them Mm -hmm. but what happened happened and i and move on yeah and that's it's really the only way to live i mean we don't we don't have another choice I mean, it's either we accept what happened and learn, learn to live with it, or we stay stuck forever. You, I mean, we don't have another option. Yeah. So if we're going to do that, if we're going to have to live our lives anyways, we might as well learn how to live with the most difficult questions. Yeah. Well, why, why, did my, why did my mother live for years with a cancer that caused her nothing but pain only to die in the end? Um, why, why did this person that I know have to go through years and years and years of abuse uh, only in the end to have her abuser let off the hook? 
Yeah. If we don't deal with those questions, we're not going to be able to come to a rational understanding of God. But if we take all of that and we say, God, these are the things I don't understand. These are the things that I'm really struggling with. And I need some kind of confirmation to know that you're over this. It's only then and only in that scenario can we step back and look at it and say, you know, God, these things exist right now, but I know this is not what you created us to be living in. Mm -hmm. I know that you created us to live in a, a good world with you. And that for those of us who follow you, like you said, in Revelation uh, 21, 4, that you will wipe every tear from our eyes and there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. Mm -hmm. So help me to live with it right now until I can see that day with my own eyes. Yeah, that's the only way that we're going to be able to live in a world of suffering. Yep. Yeah. All right. Well, this has been good. You got any other brief points you want to touch on before we take off? Um, no, I think that that was a good way to end it. Um, yeah, we'll do more of this if y'all want. Well, because I will end, end with this just as a side note. What I love most about this that we're able to do, because nowhere in history have there been a movie. Like, sure, there's been director's cuts, but director cuts have more than less the same with a few scenes added here and there. Yeah. This was like a completely different scene and being able to see a studio movie up against a director's vision. And I think that's another reason why I love this so much is the director has the creative freedom mm -hmm. to do what he wanted to do. Yeah. And I love that we're getting, getting able to do that. And I hope we get to do more because there's a lot to talk about with this, these two films. Yeah. Oh yeah. There's, there's plenty to talk about uh, there, there. I mean, there's, it really is watching two different movies with two different outcomes. Yeah. So I highly encourage you, if you want to know, like get a snapshot of what's happening in the world today, watch these two movies side by side. I highly recommend the Justice is Gray version, which includes I... the original uh, intended black and white and 4-3 aspect ratio. Mm -hmm. Dude, it's like, it's like watching an old film. It's awesome. Yeah. I will also say the 4-3 ratio is also in the non-black and white version. But Oh, it I, is. Yes, I because I've only seen the uh, non-black and white version. But I want to watch Justice is Grey so bad. I know oh. it's the same movie, but it's black and white. I love noir-style versions. Oh, dude, it, it adds such a darker feel to it. All right. Well, I think we're going to go ahead and take off, ladies and gentlemen. Jed, thank you for stopping by. Thank you for having me. I enjoy our little, even though this is my second one, I enjoy when we get to do this. Yeah. And uh, Jeb is also going to become a more frequent guest. Uh, we'll have him on for some more stuff in the future. So let us, guys, let us know what you guys think. And if there's any other topics you want us to cover, uh, we are nerds for life. So if you have something you want us to check out, just send it to us uh, over social media or on one of our uh, YouTube pages. You can find me at one out of one. You can find Jeb at just Jeb Shaper. And yep. Yeah, thank you guys very much. We will see you guys next time. Bye, guys.